Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees, and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. Our team of JBD coaches support men and women to engage in divorce with more calm, clarity, and confidence through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. No, usually what happens when a divorce case is filed, I would say probably less than 5% of all divorce cases that get filed end up in a trial. That means at the end of the case, you actually litigate the case and judges make, make decisions on alimony, child support, custody, parenting time, division of assets, etc. During the process, which usually takes anywhere from one to two years to get to the final resolution if you're in the courtroom, uh, there are many things that the courts are now doing to try to get people to settle their cases. There's things called now mandatory economic mediation. Three months after a divorce case is filed, many times the lawyers and their clients are required to go to mediation for about two hours. At Journey Beyond Divorce, we understand that navigating through the emotional tsunami of separation and divorce is one of the hardest journeys you'll take. And we know that once the initial fear and pain begins to pass, a whole new storm of confusion, uncertainty, and self-doubt can surface. Journey Beyond Divorce can help you identify and clarify where you're feeling stuck and what steps you need to move forward even if they're just baby steps. We guide you with practical, tangible support that you can start implementing right away. Our team of experienced divorce coaches is ready to help you. Listen through the show because we have a gift just for you. It'll help you navigate your divorce with more calm and confidence. Today and the next few shows, as a matter of fact, and we have a special guest today, which I'm really excited about. We're talking about all of the different avenues that you want to know about and consider before you dive into your divorce. And so today we have a special guest, uh, Bill Laufer, and we've invited Bill for a number of different reasons. One of the key things is that Bill's firm handles all of the different ways that one can go through a divorce, all the different legal avenues. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And Bill uh, is the senior partner at Laufer Delena 
Catasina, Jensen, and Boyd. And Bill is recognized as one of the leading attorneys in the state of New Jersey in the area of family law. And he's been practicing family law for the past 40 years and has been selected as a New Jersey super lawyer and as one of New Jersey's top 100 attorneys for the past 10 years since the inception of the super lawyer program. So we're so excited to have Bill. He has so much wisdom um, and experience to share. Welcome, Bill. Thank you very much. I appreciate that introduction. So before we get into the nitty gritty of the avenues of divorce, Bill, can you share with our listeners a little bit about how you got into the practice of matrimonial law? Well, um, besides doing this for the last 40 years, I've always had a I've always had a passion uh, to do things regarding families, uh, helping families, not only people getting divorced, but focusing more on the best interests of children. I'm pleased to say that I'm happily married for the last 35 years and have four daughters and three granddaughters. Haven't figured out how to do boys yet, only girls. <laughs> However, um, I got into the practice when I first started practicing law. I was working for a sole practitioner that did divorce work. and. I kind of fell in love with it at that time, and for the past 43 years, I have basically only done divorce work. I basically uh, navigated myself through the initial, uh, back 43 years ago, it was basically litigation, litigation, and more litigation. And uh, throughout the years, um, we've kind of changed that process. Something called ADR, which is Alternate Dispute Resolution which we're gonna talk about today in different regards. Yep. The different areas of, you know, starting from litigation to arbitration, to mediation, to collaborative divorce, all of those avenues, which, um, you know, are kind of now in the forefront of our profession. So one thing I'd like to say to our listeners early on in the show is uh, you're gonna get a lot of advice and stories from your friends and your family and your soon-to-be ex. And the most important thing is that you go directly to the experts to understand what your options are and what the best options are. And so today, Bill and I are going to talk a lot about the different avenues and also some of the things you want to keep in mind when you're choosing the right attorney. So not just the right legal approach, but also the right attorney. So let's jump right in, Bill. Um, let's start with litigation, because I think that's what everyone thinks of immediately when they uh, think of going through a divorce. I think litigation has a, a fairly bad reputation for being highly contentious and extremely expensive. What's your perspective on litigation and, and what advice would you give our, our listeners? Well, if you start with the premise that when people get divorced, it ends their marriage but the legal system doesn't take into consideration that that does not end the family relationship. And therefore, the litigation process uh, is expensive, it's time consuming, it leaves people with um, stress and frustration after the process. So let me deal with these major issues. When you litigate, everybody lawyers up, it becomes adversarial. The courts 
are then then take over your lives and they direct you with deadlines of when things have to be completed. And then unfortunately, we have our judges and not only in New Jersey, but throughout the country that are either elected or appointed. And I don't mind saying to everyone who's listening that the judges in the family court are very unpredictable. I say that because when a judge gets appointed by the governor or gets elected, unfortunately, the first place they put them is in the family court. That's their learning grounds. So you might end up with your divorce in front of a judge who's been a real estate lawyer or a personal injury lawyer for their whole career, and now they're divorce judges. It's scary and it's unpredictable. It's you had mentioned you had mentioned that to me when we were talking, and I that was a piece of information that I did not know. And I think that's so helpful for people to know when they're considering litigation, because it's like the guy who or the woman who's running the courtroom could have little to no experience in matrimonial law. Once in a while, you get lucky and you get a judge that gets appointed to the bench that was a divorce attorney, you know, before they became judges. But most of the time, that's not true. And you're you're right. I feel like I've been training judges how to be good divorce attorney, uh, be good divorce judges for the last 40 years. And you said something else. And then if they're on the I'm sorry, that's what I was going to ask you about the timing. Yeah. And then they get to be a divorce judge for about three years. They start to get good at what they do, and then they transfer them to either the civil parts or the criminal courts, because usually during a judge's first 10 years on the bench, they like him to engage in all three disciplines, which is family law, criminal law, and civil law. So then they take them away and they give us, they give us another rookie, uh, and, and we start again. So um, it's very, you know, to put your hands in, to put your life and your children's lives into the hands of family court judges is very dangerous and very unpredictable. And that's why good divorce lawyers have all started to engage in other methods of resolving the divorce practice. Now, let me ask you this, because I think one of the things that people believe is if I'm going to litigate I'm going to go to trial and a judge is going to make decisions. And can you just speak to that a little bit? Because that's not really true most of the time. No, usually what happens when a divorce case is filed, I would say probably less than 5% of all divorce cases that get filed end up in a trial. That means at the end of the case, you actually litigate the case and judges make, make decisions on alimony, child support, custody, parenting time, division of assets, etc. During the process, which usually takes anywhere from one to two years to get to the final resolution if you're in a courtroom, uh, there are many things that the courts are now doing to try to get people to settle their cases. There's things called now mandatory economic mediation. Three months after a divorce case is filed, many times the lawyers and their clients are required to go to mediation for about two hours. Um, there, are, or there are early settlement panels where lawyers dedicate their time to help settle cases. There's things called intensive settlement conferences where judges drag the lawyers and their litigants into court know, to try and help them settle their cases. So from start to finish, there are so many things that the courts are now doing to defer a trial. And, and, and if you think about what I've just said, and you'll think of the amount of money that it's now costing you, because every time one of those things occurs, you're paying lawyers, 
No, you're stressing your family out. Um, it's very expensive. And I will say that lawyers, as a result of that, get very bad names of being expensive and overcharging and overbilling. And it's really not our fault because the court mandates us to do all these things. And if I could jump in, I know my own personal experience, I think with my it was my preliminary conference, the first time I had to go to court and we sat we sat in the hallway for like two and a half hours before our attorneys went into the judge's chamber for five minutes and then came out and we were done. And it was such an expense. Every time you get to the courthouse, you will be there for several hours Paying your lawyers by the hour, and like you said, you'll probably get maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes, maybe half an hour of the court's time. You know, if you end up trying your case, actually, and let's say you have a, a three-day trial from start to finish, you will never get, number one, a full day of trial. You will never start at 9 o'clock in the morning, and you will never go all the way till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. You maybe get three good hours during the day to try your case, and then you will probably never get consecutive trial dates because the judges have other things to do. So you could try a three-day case over a period of maybe three to four weeks. Wow. You know, they come in every Wednesday for the next three weeks and we'll try your case. So, Bill, I get the sense that you're not a big fan of litigation. Before we move on, I do want to ask, who are the best candidates uh, to consider going through litigation? Like at what point in your your experience is is the court really necessary? Well, number one, if you have an unreasonable party. Uh, there's a reason. I'll give you a perfect example. Let's assume that the parties are married for 10 years and the husband's been the major wage earner and the wife's been a stay-at-home mom and the husband says, I don't really care what happens. I'm not going to pay her alimony. In that type of a situation, trying to bring that father or man to a mediator or an arbitrator or collaborative divorce is pretty much a waste of time. You're probably better off just going to court, letting, putting your case in front of a judge and letting the judge make a decision. There are other, there are other issues that are bona fide issues you know, that sometimes need litigation. But if you ask me what cases should and have to go to trial, I would say none. Absolutely none. There are so many alternatives as opposed to litigation. I can't think of one case that, well, I'll tell you one case that may have to, a relocation case with children. But there's no middle ground. Either the wife can leave the state with her children or she's not allowed to. And on those cases, you actually need a judge to listen to the, you know, to the parties, to their experts and make a decision. But otherwise, the process is so polarizing the parties and their children and destructive to the family, that there's very too few times that I could think that there's a case that cannot be resolved by other means than litigation. So then this is a perfect segue. Thank you so much for that. It's really helpful. When we spoke, you started discussing this uh, arbitration, which I wasn't even aware was becoming such a large, um, such a significant option. Can you share a little bit about what arbitration is and when that's the best approach to take? Right. And that's a perfect example of how you can avoid a litigation in a courtroom. Arbitration is nothing more than both parties agreeing. Basically, if I may say, rent a judge. You basically hire an arbitrator. There are a lot of retired judges out there that arbitrate. There are skilled 
seasoned matrimonial lawyers that arbitrate. I'm an arbitrator. Uh, people choose me on many occasions to arbitrate their case. They basically pay me a fee and I sit there in a ju- as a judge. I do everything as if it was in a courtroom. It's similar to litigation. Many times we'll have a court reporter there. Many times we will arrange for an appellate process, you know, in case we don't like the arbitrator's decision. Um, so it's basically going to a lawyer's office, getting full. You start at nine, you can go to four uninterrupted. So your three day trial, as I explained before, will take three days and no more. And the arbitrator acts as the judge makes decisions as a judge, and renders an opinion that is binding on the parties as if it were a judgment of the court. That's the agreement that everybody enters into before they start arbitration. Some cases are mandatory arbitration. For example, let's assume that you had a case when there was unreported income, or people didn't, or they filed false tax returns, or there's cash that's not reported. Things of those nature if you go to trial on those cases, a judge sitting on the bench who basically works for the state has an obligation to refer your case to the prosecutor and sometimes to the Internal Revenue Service that you basically committed a crime. When you go to arbitration, there's no requirement of the arbitrator to do that. So you can testify as to the unreported income, as to the cash. I mean, for example, the guy that owns three or four car washes and doesn't report his income and puts cash in his pocket and his wife knows about it. That's the kind of case that should go to an arbitrator. So that's, that's really helpful. And would, and even in cases when, listen, I'm a serious advocate in arbitration. You know, I have a best friend of mine that's getting divorced with his, and he, and he has children. And the bottom line is let's take it out of the courtroom and let's send it to an arbitrator. We can control our destiny. We can pick our arbitrator. We can give our arbitrator directing directions. We can start the trial next month if we want to and be done with it in three, three or four days instead of two years. So what I'm hearing you say is if something is highly complex, if there is um, money that where there's not transparency or where there's some things that are um, not completely legal, and would you also say if it's a really high conflict uh, divorce that arbitration might be an option? Absolutely. Under any, under all circumstances. There's no reason to litigate when you can arbitrate. Oh, I like that. That actually has a nice ring to it, too. So that's there's no that's, reason. To, and there's no reason to litigate when you can mediate either. So we're, and we're going to get to mediation in a minute. And I just want to stop for a second and say um, to, to all of our listeners, uh, all of you, wherever you're located around the world, you may have slightly different options and slightly different laws. And so Bill is speaking about uh, New Jersey specifically and in many of the states in the United States. And so with everything that we're sharing today, we really encourage you to go back, speak to a local attorney and just, you know, get clarification on what is going on in your local area. Every divorce has its unique challenges. Having helped people in many different high-conflict divorces, I know that when children and alcohol are involved, the situation becomes even more challenging. Whether you are concerned about child safety when an ex is co-parenting, or trying to prove your sobriety for custody, 
Finding a reliable system that you trust can be difficult. That's why I love and recommend Soberlink. Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system makes it easy to document sobriety in real time, ensuring child safety and providing tangible evidence of sobriety to the court as needed. It's easy to use and has features like facial recognition, tamper detection, and advanced reporting that all work together to improve your life during this difficult time. To help those in my audience who are going through divorce with children, I've worked with Soberlink to develop five tips for divorces involving children that you can download at www.soberlink.com backslash JBD. So if we move on to the next, um, let's talk about collaboration. And in many ways, collaboration is like the new kid on the block. Uh, it may not be available in all the localities of the of, the, of our listeners. Um, so definitely make sure to check. But Bill, my understanding is that collaboration has the same flavor as mediation, and yet you get to partner with an attorney so that you have uh, a collaborative spirit uh, in the negotiation. So can you tell a little bit, can you define it and tell us a little bit about what it is and how it's different than mediation? Sure, and you hit it on the head when you said it's kind of our newest method of, of alternate dispute resolution. It's kind of moving in the direction of dividing up people who want to mediate as opposed to engage in collaborative divorce. They're not that different. The major difference between collaborative divorce and our collaborative process versus the mediation process is that basically both parties initially agree to negotiate an agreement and that they, there will be no, no litigation will commence during the process. So everybody kind of the lawyers on both sides with their clients agree to assist the clients to resolve their conflicts by cooperating and avoiding the adversarial process, and they agree that under no circumstances will there be any litigation filed before their case is resolved. It's non-adversarial. Um, all of them commit to manage all of their conflicts. A four-way meeting with all four of them involved, which means lawyers and their and and their respective clients, and they they basically decide that they will be creative without litigating uh, any of their differences. So they negotiate, they compromise. It's a friendlier environment. You have more control over the outcome. I mean, there's there's um, the more control compromise. There's fair play. It's less expensive. Um, um, it's more expeditious, and it absolutely is a lot less stressful. Uh, and uh, there's less anxiety involved uh, in the collaborative process. Now, everything I've just said about collaborative divorce is pretty much the same as mediation. Um, except that during mediation, you could be involved in the courtroom. A case can already be filed with the court. Many times if you mediate an agreement, you can go to court and have it enforced. So there's, it's kind of a, a mixture of the mediation, but having the court available to you during the process. Many people that mediate are already involved in the divorce process. The collaborative people, no litigation is going on. If it's filed, they dismiss. 
They settle, and only after the whole case is settled, then and only then, well, they basically file for divorce and usually move forward with an uncontested divorce case. So so let me ask you something, because I've had a number of clients who've gone into the collaborative process um, and they didn't seem to be good candidates for collaboration because there was such an either an imbalance in the power or confidence of um between them and their spouse, or there was one one party that was not being transparent or not being um, really not willing to to budge. And so in cases like that, it seems as though if you pick if you pick an avenue that's not really right for your scenario, for your circumstances, it can actually become more expensive. Yeah, and I'm not. Listen, you and I spoke before, and I am a, I'm a major advocate of mediation. I've been a certified divorce mediator, probably one of the first in New Jersey over 25 years ago, and I and I encourage anyone that's going through the process to basically try mediation first for so many different reasons. I'm not that big of a fan of collaborative divorce, it's kind of for some of the things you said. If you have a, a, a one party that's controlling, that's a bully, you know, that doesn't listen, that doesn't cooperate, you know, that, that's got that, you know, chip on his or her shoulder for whatever reason, maybe it's their spouse was not faithful or things of that nature, you know, trying to sit them down at a table in a friendly environment and atmosphere just doesn't cut it. So, um, you know, I, again, so you're right. It's not for everybody. However, mediation is a different story. Uh, you know, it can be a little more forceful. I, as a mediator, don't mediate. My goal is not to try to make everybody feel good when I mediate. I don't care how they, I don't care if they like me or they don't like me, but I, but I want to come across as being an impartial person. That's important. Once you lose your impartiality, mediation fails. So I'll direct and I'll tell them what I think they should do. And my goal is to get finality in a fair manner. But again, you know, it, it doesn't have to be this friendly, you know, you know, atmosphere, which really collaborative divorce kind of focuses. Collaborative is for those people that really, really want to, they still respect each other. They still respect their relationships with their children, you know, and there's no real animosity. They've gotten over all of that. Let's move on and get everything done in the most amicable manner. So when it's all said and done, you know, there's still some, uh, some, some respect preserving the dignity of the family. Well, you know, it's so interesting. You're saying a few things. I have some questions for you. Uh, one of the things I've always heard is that mediation is can be the least expensive, not only the most amicable, but also the least expensive uh, way to divorce. Is that true? Uh, yes, I believe that. I, I mediated a divorce case yesterday. They were litigating for the last year and a half. I had them submit me their positions before they came. I read them in an hour. And two hours later, after they came in, their case was totally settled. Start to finish. It's just you have to cut through it. You have to. People want to be, you know, as a good mediator, they want to be told. They want to be educated. They want to be directed as to what would happen if they don't settle and then they go in front of a judge. So, so it, yeah, it can be the least expensive, you know. You know, mediation could take several sessions also to get it done. 
So here's my question for you. Uh, I work with a lot of people who are dealing, they're coming out of very high conflict divorces. Uh, There's a power imbalance. Perhaps one person's like lost themselves or whatever. I've always thought that mediation would not be a good venue for them because if they're if it's just the two of them with a neutral party it seemed to me that the stronger personality was just going to rule the day how would you answer that well first of all i encourage our mediation clients to consult with his or her attorney during the process sometimes before the process, and certainly after the process is completed uh, as to safeguard and ensure that all the rights are protected under the law. So I like when people come to me as with mediation with their lawyers. Some people will come in here without their lawyers. But the nice thing about mediation, if you're in a room and you find out that one of the parties is being unreasonable, I suggest that we split up and I'll do some shuttle diplomacy. I'll take the husband and his or her lawyer into my office and I will kind of read them the riot act, if I may, and tell them where this case belongs. And then I'll go back into the other room and I'll do the same thing. So when you have that unreasonable party, the bottom line is to bring that person back to becoming un- to becoming reasonable. So, uh, you know, you bring it back to the table. The nice thing about mediation also is you can be creative. You can mold your agreement to the needs of the parties and their children, which courts don't allow you to do. They, they, if the house is going to be sold, they order it sold. Let's assume you have a kid who's in a sophomore or junior in high school. Maybe you can get the parties to agree. Let's keep the house for the next two years. Let's let this teenager finish high school. Then we'll, we'll own the house together for the next two years. Then we'll sell it and split the profits. It's not for us, but it's for the best interest of the children. It's bad enough that the parties are getting divorced. They got to pull the kid out of a high school and move somewhere else. So sometimes you explain that to them, you bring them back to reality. They might not like each other, but if you explain to them that you're doing something for the best interest of their children, who most of the time they love, you know, you can sometimes talk some sense into them. So, you know, they don't have to start off liking each other or liking the process. But I think a good mediator can bring them to an agreement. The other thing about mediation is it's not binding. And you can't compel somebody to sign an agreement. The only time they'll sign an agreement is after their lawyer has approved it and they feel that the agreement's fair and equitable. So anyway. So I hear that if our if if our listeners are considering mediation, the first thing I'm hearing you say crystal clear is hire an attorney who's going to advise you and who you're going to go to for advice throughout the process of mediation and who's going to review the final agreement, the verbal agreement that's written up by you or by the mediator, that they're going to review that um, before before that party signs and that that's the wisest way of going about it. Yeah, because you could have a mediation session with both parties. You fill them with information. You give them their homework. They should go back and consult with their lawyer for an hour and say, Mr. Laufer suggested this, suggested that. What do you think? And a lot of times they'll come back and they'll have some good information and we'll work with them and their attorneys. The bottom line is when it's all said and done, you know, their attorney has to be on board also as to the fact that this is a fair settlement for their, you know, for their clients. 
Right. And we're going to actually get into the attorney part in just a second. But I have one more. One of the things that you're saying that I wasn't aware of is that you can go through mediation with your attorney. So the collaborative process is it's you and your attorney, him or her and her attorney across from each other, a four-way. But you're actually saying that in mediation, it could be a five-way where there's the neutral mediator and you're actually at the table with your attorney. I would say 90% of the time, the first session I had with the parties not the first session, the first half an hour, I deal with everybody in the room with me, and I explain to them the mediation process. I take the temperature in the room of how the parties get along with each other and their lawyers, and then most of the time, I separate them into two separate conference rooms. And then I will do shuttle diplomacy going back and forth until I have a deal. And that's I- usually the successful mediation. You know, what I really like about that is my biggest concern with, again, these these uh, high conflict situations is that somebody was going to go sit at a table and really be be bullied or, uh, you know, walk away with an agreement that that didn't serve them. But if they can have their attorney there, that that opens up so much possibility, even for a higher conflict or a higher complexity of divorce to uh, to attempt to mediate at first. You know, and it's interesting that some people will they will not tell you what they want to tell you when they're in the presence of their their spouse. But if you separate them, there's things that they will tell you that may be very helpful to you as a mediator to settle a case. I mean, I had a case where there was $10 million of assets, and the wife basically in another room said, listen, I know I'm entitled to 50%, but I'm okay with 40%. Because if I take 40%, he will then be, there's other things that he will do that are more important to me than the money. And so now I'm in a position to negotiate a case with 40%, which is music to his ears. But, you know, something that she didn't want to basically say when we're together, but she told me alone. So you get information from parties that are separated in other rooms that a lot of the times they will not tell you uh, when they're together. No, that's great. That's such helpful information. Bill, I'd love to chat for a few minutes about the other decision. So once once I decide that I definitely want to mediate, collaborate, litigate, arbitrate, whatever I decide on, then I have to shop for the right attorney. And you've been doing this a long time. You have such a heart for families and for helping this to be as, as streamlined a process as possible. What's your advice to our listeners? for what to look for in the individual, in an attorney? Yeah, you know, most of my clients come from me and are referred to me by other clients. I guess that's the, that's the ultimate, you know, recommendation when your former client refers, uh, refers someone to you as their attorney. I guess the ultimate is when the other party like you represent the wife and then the husband refers you a client. That's the real ultimate, meaning that I guess I did a pretty good job. Um, but, you know, when you're searching for an attorney, um, you know, of course there's the Internet, but, you know, you can write whatever you want on the Internet. Um, you know, I think the best thing to do is if you have someone who's trusted as an attorney, a family lawyer, um, probably uh, talk to them and see who they would recommend to you. Um, 
every state has a, a bar association, uh, and they kind of have a good handle sometimes on who the better lawyers are. But I would get somebody. Look, I also have to tell you this. I find that the family law practice is very gender conscious. And I remember telling you that before, um, Karen, um, that, you know, you have a man that comes to hire you and, you know, and maybe he wants a woman attorney because in his mind, he wants somebody to think like his wife uh, or vice versa. So what I do in my case is every, every client that comes to my firm has two lawyers. When they initially, I have a man and a woman sitting in the room. It's either me or, or a woman associate or one of my female partners will have their room with a male associate. And those are the people that represent that, that individual. So they'll have a male and a female because there's certain questions that they may not want to ask me that they may want to ask my female attorney. But um, I think you need to look at the experience and background of the people that you're going to. Uh, I guess it's pretty tough to you know, tell you exactly how you go about hiring a family lawyer, um, except by, you know, I like talking to other attorneys or people that have already been through the process that can tell you their experience with the lawyer that represented them. I think that's, I think that's really key is the experience. One of the things I, I see more often than I expected was uh, people who hire or their spouse hires someone who's not a matrimonial attorney, who's more of a general uh, law attorney. And do you have any comments on that? Yeah, absolutely. I would absolutely 100% never hire anybody that didn't specialize in family law. Why uh, is that? Very, well, it's a very specialized profession. And in fact, today, it's kind of like... Um, you know, if you go to a doctor today, the general practitioner has kind of faded out as to what I remember when I was growing up. You know, you went to a doctor and he did everything for you. I mean, now everybody's specialized. And in fact, when when lawyers get out of law school, they have to basically when I hire an attorney, I will never hire a lawyer as a family lawyer without having them gone through a one year clerkship with a matrimonial judge because they learn and they experience what it's like in the family part. Lawyers today are all specialized. You're either a plaintiff's negligence lawyer, you're a real estate lawyer, you're a workman's comp lawyer, you're a divorce lawyer. You know, you won't find many general practitioners out there. So again, I mean, for my 40 years of practicing law, you know, it's pretty much been focused upon as a divorce attorney. So. We all specialize. When they go through law school today, nobody comes out and gets a job as a general practitioner. Those days have come and gone. So you really want to find a family law attorney. You want to uh, get recommendations if you can. I think what you said about if you know anyone uh, in your circle of influence that's an attorney that you trust to ask them, because my understanding is attorneys do a lot of that cross-referring within, within your industry. And so you can get a reference from, uh, from somebody that you know who's an attorney and a few things that that I would just add in. One of the things I see a lot of is somebody's come from a relationship where they feel their spouse is a bully. And so they go out and they hire someone who's a bully and then they feel bullied by their attorney, too. And so I think it's really important that uh, that that the listeners are really 
conscious of the decisions they're making that you want an attorney who who listens like as you're listening to Bill you can hear his heart for what he does his experience his wisdom to make sure that you're you have that level of comfort when you're sitting there and the other thing is that yeah and one thing Karen, I only cut you, but the other thing is is that you know when I when I mediate a divorce case and I get these parties to come to an agreement they'll ask me at the end sometimes they don't have lawyers they will ask me to refer them to an attorney because as a mediator you are not their attorney you are only the mediator and there's a list of mediators who are also lawyers that are I indicate are mediation friendly you don't want to send that person to somebody, like you said, that's got a reputation of being a bully or an unreasonable litigator. Will then try to, you know, kind of gear them away from the agreement so they could go litigate because they don't like, you know, a certain, uh, you know, they think the wife should get alimony for 10 years instead of, uh, uh, instead of eight years. I think there's something along those lines. So I look at people that are mediation friendly and there are lawyers who mediate and litigate, like myself. I do both. So when people mediate their cases, it's often I will get that person will be referred to me by another lawyer, knowing that I'm not going to try to blow the thing up and kill the deal, you know, as long as I believe that the deal is fair for my client. So every county, I would think, in every state has a list of certified mediators. Not a bad place to start if you want to try to get a mediation-friendly lawyer who's not going to try to, quote, churn your case and kind of get one of these large fees that give us all a bad reputation. Well, thanks, Bill. I think that's that's really sound advice. So we've talked about litigation, arbitration, collaboration, mediation. We've talked a little bit about what to look for in an attorney. Uh, you know, this is such a vital uh, topic. And for those of you listening, we talk so much at Journey Beyond Divorce about how important it is to educate yourself. And that's what this series is about, is bringing in professionals and helping you to get educated so that you're making the best choices so that you can go through your divorce with the greatest of ease. And so, Bill, before we wrap up, do you have any uh, last words of wisdom that you want to leave our listeners with? Sure. But just touching on what you said before we do that, you know, it's what you said makes a lot of sense. When you mediate a case with two people or you are collaborative divorce, many times you need to hire experts. And I didn't touch upon it. So, for example, you need a forensic accountant to value the husband's business or is it an issue regarding parenting time. You need a psycho psychologist to find out what's best interest of the children. The nice thing about mediation is both parties don't have to go out there and get their own hired guns to advocate their respective positions. As a mediator, you as an impartial mediator can select these people impartial, an independent joint forensic accountant, an independent joint psychologist. All of these things will, will reduce, number one, the expense of litigation, the expense of divorce, it will lead to a less stressful environment. It will result in a more fair and predictable outcome. 
And more importantly, and my final say is, it will preserve the dignity of the family. And that's what I really need to, to end on. You know, again, when you get divorced, it ends the marriage, but it does not end the family relationship. People need to understand that after they get divorced, they're going to go to their children's birthday parties together sometimes. They're going to go to the bar mitzvah. They're going to go to the wedding. They're going to go to the christening. They will be involved with each other for the rest of their lives. So they need to focus upon that. And the better you come out of a divorce case and the more more you have control over your destiny and you don't have that if you get a judge there is there are statistics that show that when people work together in formulating an agreement there is a high rate of compliance think about that when you settle the case together you will then comply. When a judge shoves it down your throat, you will probably litigate for many, many years to come. Yeah, that's such a great point. And, and you know, you clearly have uh, areas that you feel strongly about and prefer. And so before I ask you again for your words of wisdom, the next few shows are going to be with other attorneys where our next show is going to be uh, all about litigation, what it means, how it works, all the different aspects of it. Then we're going to have a collaborative attorney come on board and then we're going to have a, a mediating attorney. So so. For the listeners, you're going to hear a lot more detail in the next three shows and different perspectives than Bill's. And this has been such a great, this has been such a great education, I think. And Bill, I really appreciate all of the wisdom that you shared. What's your last words for our listener? My last words is to resolve your disputes between the two of you in a way that will allow the two of you to work together and to cooperate with one another and your children in the future. Put your kids first, and, and in my opinion, you will do the right thing, whether it's child support or their college education uh, or their medical needs or whatever it takes. It will be tenfold uh, into the future. The men out there will end up with better relationship with their kids, and the woman will get more cooperation into the future. So I enjoy doing this. I enjoy getting the word out, and I hope you all will you know, listen to the message that I have hopefully given to you. The final words are mediate, do not litigate, whatever it takes. Hey, Karen, Bill, I, I have a quick question for Bill. Yeah. Bill, what would you say to our listeners that find themselves financially strapped? They don't feel they can hire an attorney and want to go it alone. Yeah, I guess if you're going to do that, if you're going to do that, my suggestion would be, and I have, I do that a lot. I listen, I have people to come to see me. They don't have a lot of money. They can't really afford lawyers. So they come to me as a mediator. And when I do that, I probably go above and beyond because I probably end up acting as their mediator and probably lawyering both of them which is what I'm not supposed to do, but I do it anyway to assure that they have a fair deal. So if that's going to be the case, you know, go to your local bar association, find out who are the good mediators and find out their hourly rates. They will tell you what their hourly rates are and choose one of those persons and go together with the understanding. And listen, we have $3,000 between the two of us to, to dedicate to this process. It's all we have. And we need to resolve it within that amount of money. And so if you go through that mediation, then who does the, the legal paperwork? Well, here's what I do. When I mediate a case, I'm probably one of the few lawyers that does this, but I like it. I prepare the final agreement. 
Because when you mediate a case and you send a memo to each of the other lawyers, they will prepare an agreement and they'll probably fight about the word in the agreement. Who knows for how long? So I prepare an agreement and they leave my office. They will have an agreement in their hand, not signed. I will never let them sign it in front of me because I'm not their lawyer. The husband might say, I don't need a lawyer. I'm fine with this. I understand it. He can go to a bank and have it notarized, his signature, and the wife can then go to a lawyer if she needs it. And one of the two of them will probably have to hire a lawyer simply to file for the divorce and get them divorced. But you can go online and learn how to get a divorce yourself, too. Okay. Great question, Steve. So, so Bill, how can our listeners reach out uh, to you if they're interested in working with you? Well, I have a... I have a very involved. If you go to my website, uh, it's it's um, it's uh, it's lauferfamilylaw.com. Um, if you go to my website, not only will you see I have 15 lawyers that work for me, including a retired judge that does a lot of arbitration and mediation. But only not only that, we just put about 25 to 30 videos on my website with questions and answers similar to what you've asked me today, where all of our lawyers are basically asking questions and giving answers on our website. But if you go to LaufordFamilyLaw.com, you will get all the information. There's a lot of free and very informative information in there, and it'll show you how to contact us if we can help you in any way. And what's your number in case they want to call? It's 973-285-1444. Great. This has been so informative, Bill. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate everything that you've shared. And uh, listeners, uh, tune in because the next few shows are going to go deeper into detail on litigation, collaboration and mediation. And so there's a lot more to come. All right. Good stuff, Karen. And how do our listeners get a hold of you? You can go to journeybeyonddivorce.com. And in fact, if you're listening to any of the shows in this series and there are questions that you have that aren't being answered or a topic that hasn't been covered, reach out. Just go to our contact page and let us know what you're looking for and we'll see if we can accommodate. And I will say that Karen's group is wonderful. We've had many of our many of our um my clients have utilized them, you know, almost like it's, I don't know if you want to call it a divorce coach, but educating through the process and how to navigate their way through all of these issues regarding, even with their children. It's, it's a wonderful uh, resource to engage in. And um, I, we've found it very helpful to our clients. Thanks, Bill. Okay, you're welcome. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.